The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. I am happy to be back here in the studio. Uh, we're going to have a great show this afternoon. I have two lovely women uh, waiting in the wings, and, and the first is one of our core sponsors, uh, Jocelyn Ewart, uh, managing partner of Entrust Financial, um, who is a great supporter of the show and is going to be with us every month to to talk about money matters, uh, money matters rather, things we really need to know. And our guest, who is also waiting to join us in a few minutes, is Jackie Baumgarten. And Jackie is CEO of Boatsetter, which I will describe as the Airbnb of the marine industry. And she's calling us from Costa Rica and is going to be joining us in just a few minutes. Uh, if you're listening and you want to call in and ask a question to either Jocelyn or Jackie, we would love to hear from you. And you can do so by calling 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. So we're going to start with Jocelyn, who is uh, across the table from me, and she's going to be talking about something very timely, which is on the minds of all of us for both professional and personal reasons, and that's tax season coming up in just a few months in April. So she has some great tips and advice for us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Susan. It is good to be here, a bright spot on, I must admit, this typical gray, gloomy February day for the Philadelphia region, and uh, yes, I think we might even have snow showers soon, so we'll get to talking about something that'll be a, a little bit brighter for us to think about. Good. Um, as you mentioned, I'm really glad to be having this conversation today because this is the time of year when your listeners are gathering and organizing the documents they need for their 2015 income tax preparation. Ah, yes. Well, I may be hearing some groans across the uh, airwaves right now. <laughs> Just hearing the term income tax preparation can make a lot of us really tense. Right. And believe me, I understand. Yeah. There are real solid reasons to be tense. Annual income tax filing is a difficult topic. It arouses a lot of negative emotions for many of us. For instance, fear that we might make a mistake, and then the IRS will be sending us some nasty letter requesting more money along with the request for interest and penalties. It can arouse annoyance or anger that we have to give up so much of our hard-earned money to pay these income taxes in the first place. And it can arouse disagreement with how the money is actually used by the government once they receive it. On the other hand, a brighter note not everyone gets tense. Some taxpayers are pretty philosophical, and they figure, hmm, taxes are social capital. That perspective certainly saves them a lot of anxiety. However, many of us have a hard time putting a positive spin on this annual income tax liability. So if your listeners are feeling a bit uncomfortable, I want to assure them that they're in good company. 
I have a great story for the listeners, Susan, about how one family saved thousands on their income tax bill. Hopefully that will be a sweetener to get them through uh, listening to this difficult subject uh, in the next few minutes. <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, but before we dive into that, I want to mention uh, what I love to call financial housekeeping. We may have less control than we would like over the tax code, but we do have control over getting organized, which may reveal opportunities for tax savings. So with respect to financial housekeeping, first of all, be honest. If you have a tendency to procrastinate, you must give yourself a deadline for organizing your personal finances. For instance, one week is enough time for most of us. So for your listeners, remember, organizing details don't take care of themselves. We have to take charge of organizing all of our details and documents. So with that in mind, as you collect your documents, categorize them, organize them, and store them. Some of our clients like using the three-ring binder because they can just pop through the binder and put their finger on any of their documents, any category in the binder. Others prefer hanging files, but as we all know, electronic storage is really taking over today, and I believe it's the wave of the future. So there are two online resources that your listeners may want to use for their electronic personal finance storage. The first is they may want to use quicken.com mm-hmm. or mint, spelled just like the candy, M-I-N-T dot com. These are two favorites for personal finance storage. Depending on the complexity of your financial situation, you are going to have more or fewer documents to organize. To help you get started, I'm going to list some common categories of documents you want to make sure you can put your fingers on. If you're at your desk right now, get your pencil ready, because I may mention something you haven't already thought of. If you're driving in your car, set it so you can talk right into there and take electronic notes as you listen. So, first... Make sure that you have your past tax returns organized in a spot where you can put your fingers on them. Usually the last six or seven years you need to make sure that you have. Gather all of your income information, W-2s, 1099s, Social Security statements, Social Security income, pension, whatever sources of income you've had over the past year, make sure that you've got that together in one spot. Employer benefits package, including all your long-term incentives. Make certain that you know exactly where to find all of this information so that you can cross-check while you're getting ready for your taxes. Are you taking advantage of all of your employer benefits? Are you taking full advantage of benefits that offer you a tax savings, maybe a health savings plan, for instance? Gather all of your retirement plan statements your pension, your 401k, 403b, 457, IRA, KEO. There can be so many opportunities to save for the future. Make sure that you've got all those statements at hand. And please, make sure these are real, full statements, not just Internet uh, screenshots. Those don't give complete information to your advisors. Bank statements are a category. Brokerage statements for stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Make sure you can put your fingers on all your insurance policies and contracts. 
disability, life insurance, long-term care, your annuities, property casualty. You have so many categories of documents that reflect your financial life. If you have a business, you know what to gather, your estate documents, any financial statements about your home, your vacation home, collectibles, that kind of thing. If you've been divorced within the last few years, make sure you have your divorce settlement agreement close at hand. Well, that's enough for right now. But as you can (laughs) see, to stay one step ahead of your financial life, there's a lot of documents. And if you can put your finger on all these already, congratulations. You are ahead of the curve. You have kept up with your financial housekeeping. Remember, as I said earlier, doing this housekeeping can lead to tax savings opportunities, just like it did for one family with whom we work, whose story I will tell you momentarily. Before I dive into the family specifics, you may recall on a former show, I indicate what differentiates, I indicated what differentiates our firm and Trust Financial. And what differentiates us is that we partner with clients to provide holistic wealth management. And I explained that the holistic approach begins with your investment plan to set the foundation of your financial house. However, the investment plan is just the beginning. Then we address concerns that go beyond investing. That is bringing me full circle to the specifics of this great story I promised. This family's financial concern that went beyond investing had to do with income taxes. And their story goes something like this. The clients provided their 2014 tax return for our review during our initial meeting together. We noticed that even though these clients had a major budget item to pay for services for their special needs child, expenses not covered by their school district, these expenses did not appear on their tax return. These services were required for the child's individualized educational plan, what we often think of as the IEP. We know such expenses often provide a taxpayer deduction, so we worked with their CPA to file an amended return, and this time these IEP costs were deducted. This amended filing resulted in the couple recovering $11,000 in overpayment of taxes in 2014. Because their child has three more years of high school, we anticipate the family will continue to save about 11000 a year on income taxes. This is an example of why Entrust is committed to using a holistic process. In the case of this family, addressing financial concerns that go beyond investing is saving them about $44,000 over a four-year period. I encourage all listeners who find that kind of savings exciting, like I do, Susan, to visit the Women to Watch website, Click on our Entrust Financial logo. Contact us today. We welcome the opportunity to hear your story and begin a conversation. That's fantastic. What a what a great story and really significant in, you know, what you can do if you dive in deeper and pay attention to, you know, to your, as you said, your documents. Makes all the difference. Fantastic. I thank you so much for joining us as you do every month and look forward to having you again in March. Can't believe it'll be March. But. Sounds fantastic. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, we're going to turn now to our guest for this afternoon, and I'm, I'm so thrilled to have Jackie with us. Uh, Jackie uh, Baumgarten. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, Jackie. Uh, C- you are. You okay, are. CEO of Boatsetter, 
And uh, Jackie is calling us from Costa Rica, where she's actually planning her wedding, uh, which I think is is very exciting. And and hopefully this is a little bit of a moment to step away from the from the crazy and do something different. Welcome to the show, Jackie. Thank you so much, Susan. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Well, I, um, you know, I was introduced to you from Heather, and when I dove in to do my homework on your business and your industry and and your company, I, I was so impressed with so much of your story. And uh, one of the things, of course, is the fact that what you do on a, a day-to-day basis is really in a very male-dominated field. And I want to start with your growing up years in California, uh, where you mentioned you were a bit of a tomboy and see if perhaps that was uh, where it all started for you, your, um, I guess, your courage to not only do something on your own as an entrepreneur, but do it in a, in, you know, an area where it was mostly men. Can you talk about those years for a little bit? Sure, sure. So um, a little bit about my background. I grew up in Southern California. I come from a family of four. I have three brothers, both older and younger, so I'm smack dab in the middle. And uh, my father is a serial entrepreneur. I actually come from three generations of entrepreneurship. So I was very fortunate to be able to see that as an example and know that it is a possibility. Um, you know, and, and in that, I have seen both the challenges and the wonderful benefits that entrepreneurship can bring, uh, both to quality of life and lifestyle. So there's no doubt that my upbringing has influenced where I am today, but um, there was a long journey before launching uh, Boat Setter and founding Boat Setter. Yes, and, you know, we're going to talk about um, a lot of the different parts to your story and your journey, and one of them was... um, you're uh, getting a Bachelor of Arts degree from Wesley College and an MBA from Stanford. Tell me, what was it about uh, the business industry or, or the business major that was exciting to you? Well, you know, I mean, growing up, I worked side by side with my father. He is a commercial real estate developer and um, an attorney. So I always knew that business was something that intrigued me. Uh, I've been working in his office since I was uh, since the summers of when I was 13 years old and knew that that was a path that I wanted to pursue. But at the same time, I knew that before I would dive into doing something entrepreneurial, I needed to have a really strong foundation and education in core business. And so that path began with an undergraduate at Wellesley College and then transitioned to moving to New York to work as a strategy management consultant, which was, in essence, an extension of um, a business career and a pre-MBA, so to speak, where I was fortunate to be able to see and experience and help solve the challenges that a lot of Fortune 500 companies faced, whether they be strategic, whether it be deciding what products to keep and which ones to eliminate, whether it be how to expand in new marketplaces, all of that just continued my education. And the challenge that I faced in consulting was that you get to be very creative and identify problems that companies are facing, but there was a lack of that tangible get-it-done experience. You, You present these recommendations to the companies, but then you step away and you're not part of the execution. And to me, that was very unfulfilling. So I made the decision at that point to go back to business school to continue to develop and transition in my career. I went to Stanford Business School, 
And after business school, I had another decision to make. I could, at that point, start doing something entrepreneurial with my family and my father or continue that education of experience. Mm -hmm. And for me and and what I draw so much of my self-confidence from is from real-life experience, hands-on challenges, uh, wins and failures. I know that I can rely upon that in any business challenge or situation that I face today. And when graduating business school, I just didn't quite feel equipped to have that breadth of knowledge and experience to draw upon. So I chose not to pursue an entrepreneurial path then and went to work for one of the largest commercial real estate REITs, a company called uh, West Westfield. There they were hiring one person out of Harvard and Stanford each year to enter an executive rotational training program. And that's where my experience really began to blossom, and the education really became a true learning experience. Um, I had two primary roles there. I I ran one of the largest commercial um, developments in the city of Los Angeles, the feasibility and entitlements, and being a young woman um, in that environment where I was absolutely the only woman and in many cases the only person under the age of 45, I learned what it was to be humbled um, and I learned how to learn from and draw from the experiences of those around me and how to build out a team of people who are more knowledgeable, more experienced to create a cohesive team so that we can get what was what some believed um, impossible done and get everyone aligned on the same vision. It was that experience there um, in corporate America where I had an operating role that really gave me the breadth of knowledge and confidence to know that when the time came to pursue my own endeavor, I had the knowledge and the skills to draw from. Jackie, tell me how you landed that job fresh out of college. Well, that was actually out of business school. So Mm -hmm. I had had a good six, seven years of work experience prior to that. And um, I knew that I wanted to get into commercial real estate development at the time. So I ran and became president of the Stanford Real Estate, uh, vice president rather, of the Stanford Real Estate Club. I entered into competitions. I took on internships uh, with other players in the industry to volunteer my time while I was going to school to give myself the work experience to be able to um, to support getting that position. And it, and it was pure competitive you know, knowing knowing the industry, knowing the company, knowing what they were looking for in the role, and showing them that I could accomplish it, uh, the same way that anyone really preps for something that they want. So it sounds to me, Jackie, like you, you know, always had a not only um, a competitive spirit about you, but a sense of confidence. <laughs> and, you know, was there any, were there any challenges for you um, as a young woman growing up and, and looking to, you know, determine what it was you were going to do uh, as far as a career? Was there anything that kind of, you know, you had to work on? So it's funny. I'm smiling when I hear you say that. I always had that confidence because it's not true. Okay. <laughs> um, I did. I did always have that competitive spirit. That is is the truth. I okay. mean, three brothers, eleven broken bones, every sport <laughs> you can imagine. Right. Um, that that is innate in who I am. Okay. But that that confidence grew over time, and you know, it's something interesting that I see in millennials today that I have working with me, for me, um, for 
classmates and counterparts of mine who run companies, is that where they draw that confidence from seems to be different. I see a lot of millennials that just have it because of how they've been raised. I had to earn it, blood, sweat, and tears through, through experience, through getting out there and scraping my knee and getting back up and knowing that I can survive this difficult challenge. And if I was, for example, working on a deal, there was a deal when I first started the company that was a, a big strategic partnership that I knew would be a game changer for us in terms of giving us access to boats across the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I spent a year negotiating this deal and completely overcome the deal. It had equity components, it had performance components, you name it, and the deal ended up falling apart after a year's worth of work. Rather than just feel devastated and upset, I stepped away and I thought, let's get back to the core of what we want to do. Mm. We want to help each other's companies grow. So what's at the core base of that? And we, I reapproached uh, the owners of the company and negotiated from that perspective simply what do we want to do to help one another and how can we restructure this deal from the bottom up and get it done. And we're finalizing that deal next week, which I'm excited to say after a year and a half. Oh, congratulations. Of hard work. So, yeah, congratulations. Thank you. That you know So that, I think I think it's tenacity and hard work really that helps build that that um, confidence. Well, and the question, I think that's such a great question. What is at the core of what we're trying to do? I think often in business you kind of lose track of that. And when you, when you bring yourself back to what, you know, what your, almost what your mission is, what is it we're trying to do? It really helps you, um, get focused and have clarity. Mm-hmm. And you're what, absolutely right. Yeah. So tell me, you know, the other thing is about entrepreneurs is a lot of the, um, the success or failure comes from, I, I won't say failure, success comes from an idea. And, and I love the story about your founding of Cruisin', um, which really just came from a conversation you had with your brother. Can you tell that story? Absolutely. Um, so Cruisin' was the predecessor to what is now the company Boatsetter, Boatsetter.com. Mm-hmm. And when I first came up with the idea for this marketplace, it was back in 2012, and you know I'd grown up with my family out on the water. It was one of the few times that we were all present and were able to build incredible memories. Uh, my family's originally from Chicago, and we used to fly out in the summertime and spend the Fourth of July out on the lake, and it just was an amazing experience that I wanted to share with others. At the same time, my two brothers own boats, uh, and they called me within weeks of each other at the end of 2012 complaining that they were going to have to sell their boats because they hadn't used them once. Well, I was very well aware of the success of companies like Airbnb and Get Around and Relay Rides, which do car sharing. And I proposed to them, well, you know, would you keep your boat if you could rent it out? And they both had that same knee-jerk reaction. I can't do that. My insurance doesn't allow it which was very true. At the time, the infrastructure for peer-to-peer boat rentals did not exist. Your recreational boat insurance policy is much like your car. It excludes coverage if you were to rent or charter the boat. So I knew that that was the first real challenge and obstacle that I had to tackle to even make this marketplace real. So I spent about eight months, and I paired with um, an expert who had developed the first car-sharing policy with Berkshire Hathaway, 
And we went out and hit the global markets and finally convinced one of the leading maritime underwriters to build the first peer-to-peer policy that ever existed. And that's how the marketplace began and how Cruise and, uh, and now Boat Setter came into existence. And, and there again was your persistence, right? You know, when you were faced <laughs> you with You better the, believe it. <laughs> yes. I mean, really, you know, to kind of take, take – not take on, but, you know, take on the uh, insurance industry, that can be, my goodness, so complicated. Um, but you knew that's where you needed to start, um, you know, in order to – in order to kind of change um, what was happening in this industry and actually, you know, bring something brand new. One of the statistics I read mm-hmm. that I thought was was pretty amazing, um, there's over 12 million registered boats in the United States, and they're only used about 14 days out of the year. My goodness, that yeah, seems absolutely like... Absolutely true. Yeah, you know, um, a, a waste of time and money, right? So boats are an incredible enhancement, I think, to recreational life, and they create an opportunity for families to have wonderful memories out on the water. But they are expensive. And so what we're trying to do through Boatsetter is make boarding, boating far more accessible and far more affordable to anyone, regardless of whether you're a boater or not. What our marketplace does is it brings beautiful private boats together with people who want to get out on the water with U.S. Coast Guard certified captains. So if you're qualified and you want to take a boat out, you can. Or if you just want to have a great experience, we can match you with a captain and you can have whatever experience your heart can imagine, whether you want to go deep sea fishing, whether you want to tour the intercoastal, whether you want to go sailing, whether you want to do a sunset cruise, you name it, we can create it for you. Yeah, that's wonderful. Here's what I want to know. When you realized that you needed to convince the, um, you know, the insurance company to create a whole new class of policy, what was your strategy behind that? I mean, I I presented it to them as though they were investors. I laid out the business argument, the need, um, and the marketplace opportunity, and I presented it to them. And they saw not only that, but I researched what all the top claims were for insurance in, in boating. And I identified how we would develop our operational system to be able to mitigate the risk of claims being issued. So I showed them that I understood their business. I showed them the potential of this new opportunity. And I presented it to them as if they were long-term investors and partners in the company. It's funny. After getting their buy-in, I had asked for exclusivity. And this was one of those really difficult lessons that a young entrepreneur, I think, faces and goes back to where you um, had asked me what challenges and, and um, have I faced and what have I had to overcome. One of the biggest challenges I think an entrepreneur faces is how to get funding to get their business off the ground. And when we had established this policy, I turned to the owner of the company and I asked for exclusivity. And he said, that's fine, Jackie. Just write me a check for a million dollars. (laughs) Well, to let you know how I started this company, I had put my condo on the market, put all of my furniture into storage, and used my entire savings to launch this company um, several years ago. And I wasn't in a position, and I didn't feel right, going out to friends and family to ask them for a million dollars to support a business that I hadn't yet proven. So as a result, um, our policy is now the the, uh, gold star and, and what's used by several of our competitors in the marketplace. That's incredible. Really. Congratulations. 
And and tell me, thank you. Thank yeah, you. it's it's really it's really amazing what you've done. Um, here's a question I have for you: What you know in all of these years, and it seems from the very beginning of your career, um, you have worked with a lot of men. And you know when we talk mm-hmm. about women, professional women working um, with men and across all different industries, there's there's lessons that successful women learn in maneuvering in, let's say, you know, a man's world. What are some of the things you would say that you've learned working with, with so many men in your career? Wow. Um, it's a very complex question to answer. And, you know, I think I'm fortunate in that I've grown up uh, with brothers. I've grown up with male best friends. So I'm very much at ease in being myself um, in a male-dominated environment. But the thing is that I've learned over time and as I've, gra- as I've gained confidence in myself, it's not about changing who you are to fit in. It's about relishing in the advantages that you have that set you apart. Um, one example that I find in running my company and leading my team, so I think as a woman we have a very innate and natural ability to identify the strengths in people and encourage them and develop them. Um, we tend to be far more collaborative in working together. And I run my team in that manner. I draw upon that mama bear um, tenacity and need to create a collaborative environment. And we build a team where everybody feels a sense of pride in what they're building. And everyone on my team will lock arms in a challenging situation and find a way to solve it together. And, And that's been a hard lesson to learn because, you know, you may have some great individual contributors on a team. And they may be causing and wreaking havoc to the culture that you want to build. And you have to be willing to cut them loose and to cut them loose quickly because Mm -hmm. the benefit of the team and the company is what matters most. So I'm an operator, and I'm a collaborative operator at that, and I'm willing to get down in the trenches and lock arms with my team and go to battle with them. And that's something that I think is unique uh, to women. And if they were to tap into that more often, I think they'd be able to draw a lot of success. The, uh, the second learning, you know, if I think about it, is you've got to be more resourceful and creative because often you're going to be discounted and looked over, and that's, that's just the fact uh, and the reality of the situation. So rather than pout about it or feel embittered, you be, you've got to be more creative. You know, I've got a great example for you. When I first launched the company, I knew that we were small and we needed to build credibility and find ways to scale. And the best way to do that was through strategic partnerships. And one of the companies that I really wanted to build a partnership with uh, was a company called Westrec Marinas, which was one of the largest leading marina owner-operators at the time. Well, the president of that company, a gentleman named Bill Anderson, was very, very difficult to get a meeting with. I mean, I used my entire network. I had people who had sold marinas to him, reach out. We probably tried three or four different angles, and I couldn't get a one-on-one meeting with him. Well, rather than give up, I read about a project that they had just funded in Florida. It turns out the real estate investment bank that had funded that project was one that I had very close ties to. So I reached out to the head of the bank, and I said, I need you to get me a meeting with the CEO and the CFO. And within 24 hours, we had that meeting, which was a 45-minute slot. I flew my team down at the time from San Francisco, and we were in his office the next morning. 
And that 45-minute meeting turned into a three-hour meeting where he was just blown away by what we had done, by our clear ability to articulate the vision, by all of the obstacles we'd started to break down. And now I'm ecstatic to share that Bill Anderson and Westrack is one of our top partners, and, and Bill is one of my greatest mentors and advocates since um, I brought him on board a few years ago. So as a woman, be resourceful, be creative, and be tenacious. That's right. You know, really, that research that you did on West Trek, I think, was, you know, just so brilliant and, and speaks to your tenacity. That's probably a, one of the great words that describes you um, and why you've seen the success you have. We're going to take a quick break, Jackie. And when we come back, I'd love to talk about your take on uh, the millennials uh, and the generation share that you talk about and, and why we have to kind of be a little bit more innovative in business today because of it. We'll be right back. Absolutely. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Mount St. Joseph Academy is now accepting registration for the pre-high school placement test. The test takes place on Saturday, March 19, from 8 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. at the Mount. This test is the 7th grade edition of the actual scholarship entrance exam taken in 8th grade and is scored with 7th grade norms. It will give your daughter the opportunity to experience the test and gain insights into her strengths and weaknesses. Registration is online only with a $45 non-refundable fee. Go to our website at msja.org to sign up today. That's msja.org. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Uh, we have a, a wonderful guest with us this afternoon. Her name is Jackie Baumgarten. She's the CEO of Boat Setter, and uh, we're talking about her her success and, and some of her advice for um, running a company that is typically uh, a male-dominated industry, and, and she's done quite well. Um, one of the things that I, I read about was what you were looking to do with the company, and that was to kind of introduce the world of boating to the millennials, and you uh, mm-hmm. described them as a as generation share. It's the first time I had actually seen that kind of a description. Tell me what you meant by that. Sure. Uh, you know, I, if you think about this shareable economy, um, some of us may think, oh, I've never really experienced it. But most people have, whether they know it or not. If you think about it, Airbnb, for example, has the largest number of hotel stays than any hotel company in the world, and they don't own a single room. Think about Uber. They do more trips than any taxi company in the world, and they don't own a single car. This behavior is no longer a trend. It's sort of the direction and wave of our economy, and it's being fueled quite heavily by millennials. And one of the behavioral differences between millennials and baby boomers, for example, is this desire to pay for an experience and not have a need to own the asset. Whereas with baby boomers, there's a lot of pride in the 
owning your home and owning your car and owning your boat, you'll find that millennials are willing to pay a premium for a great experience that they can have and then walk away from the asset. And that is something that we are tapping into quite heavily at Boat Setter. Not only to create experiences and get more people exposed to boating, but the industry itself needs to adopt what we're doing for the success and longevity of the boating industry. So I'll, I'll give you a little context. Boat manufacturers have seen significant decline in boat sales since 2006. It's almost down half of what it was in 06. Mm-hmm. And the average boat owner is now you've got two times as many boat owners over the age of 60 as you do under the age of 40. And there are fewer people coming in and buying boats as there are leaving. So boat manufacturers have to look to the future and find a way, a creative way, to get people exposed to boating and the wonderful experience and lifestyle that it brings. And Boat Center is a great gateway and channel to do that because we curate and give these great experiences with captains to young millennials who may or may not have had boating experiences in their youth um, or in the past. And once somebody has a taste of being out on the water and, and the lifestyle and the fun that it brings, people want to go back for more. And the beauty of our model is there is no membership fee. It's absolutely free to get on the site. You only pay for the boats that you use, which is really unique in in the boating industry. So what we're doing is creating a whole new gateway and access and really targeting millennials to get them into boating. Can you, Jackie, can you tell us, let's talk about Boat Center and exactly what your services are and what you do. So if someone's interested, um, they're not a boat owner, but, you know, they want to rent, for instance, um, kind of take us through the process. Mm-hmm. You've got it. So if you go to BoatSetter.com and you type in the geography of wherever you want to go to get out on the water and have a great experience, you'll see a whole selection of boats in your area. If you're an experienced boater, um, a lot of the owners who own these boats have said that they're fine with an experience of taking it out, and there'll be a vetting process. If you're not an experienced owner, that's not a problem. We have over 1,500 U.S. Coast Guard licensed captains on the website that we match to our boats. So you can pick the captain that you want based on their experience, based on their profile page. Some of them may be expert deep-sea fishers and be able to take you out to the best water locations to go fishing. Some of them may have really fun locations to be able to go snorkeling or swimming, and you can select the captain that you want. And everyone ranks the captain and the boat. So it's a really dynamic platform where you can vet and select based on other people's experience and ratings of the captain and the boat. You can book through the website. You go out, you meet the owner or the captain, you get out on the water, have a great time, and we take care afterwards of the cleaning, the refueling. It's as easy as you can imagine in terms of getting out on the water to have a great experience. And where would you... you I should also say one thing that is unique. I'm sorry, one thing that is, is actually very important to note and very unique is that something that sets us apart is our focus on, on safety and abiding by Coast Guard um, regulations and law. So we have the leading on water insurance that protects the renter, the boat, the boat owner, and the captain through the platform, and that's something that is unique to Boat Setter. Tell me where you, you do most of your business. Well, I've just relocated my office from Northern California, the San Francisco area, out to South Florida. 
We're doing a lot of our boating right now just because of the season down in South Florida, but we have uh, thousands of boats across the U.S., in the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, and even Croatia. And I, I would love to hear about a typical day, Jackie. You know, what is it that, as the CEO of a company like this, what? tell me what your typical day is. What are you doing throughout the day? I'm laughing at that because there is no such thing. When you're in a startup, I mean, you can be doing everything from packing bags and ordering T-shirts to (laughs) structuring the next investment deal. Right. So, And I love that. I love that about what I do. It is completely diverse. I spend a lot of time thinking about the culture and developing my team. Uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about our future strategy, prioritizing the product and roadmap build-out. Um, I spend a lot of time uh, interviewing our customers to make sure that we get feedback on how to improve the product. You name it. And, you know, we've just brought on board in the last three months since we merged with Boatsetter some amazing new hires that are elevating the level of the company. And we've set a new brand identity, brand vision. I mean, I'm just thrilled at the changes that we're making. Yeah, you know what? It truly is. It's so exciting to be an entrepreneur, um, and there are so many moving parts. And I agree with you. Having uh, your day be different every day, you're not doing the same task over and over, I think is so much more exciting. Um, tell me what your um, what your goals are for the company for 2016. Well, we want to expand into several markets and have a very strong presence throughout the U.S., expand into the Caribbean. Eventually, we want to be the leading global marketplace for water experiences, and we're going to be shifting the experience that you have when you go to the site from going to pick a particular boat to going to pick the experience that you want to have and packaging that. So that's going to be an exciting new shift. Something else that we've done we're rolling out this year is integration with hotels and hotel concierges to allow people who are traveling to book directly through Boatsetter to have a great local experience on the water. Um, Jackie, we have a little bit of a um, uh, not the best connection. I just wanted to make sure that you're speaking directly into the to the phone that you're using. I want to make sure that the listeners can hear you completely. I'm sorry. I guess that's the the drawback of being in Costa Rica this week. How is how is that? Is that better? That is a little bit better. <laughs> yes. I, you know, we're we're lucky to have you. We weren't sure the connection was gonna was gonna work at all, right? No, I'm I'm pleased that it's working as well as it is. Good. But I will speak more loudly and more clearly okay, for you. Okay. Very good. Listen, I want first of all, how many do you have on your team? How big is the company? So we have 13 full-time employees, but mm-hmm. with our full-time um, contractors, we're at about 23. 23. Okay. And, uh, you know, tell me what, mm-hmm. as a leader, you know, as a as a CEO of a company, tell me what your, not your mantra, but what is something that you kind of uh, remind yourself of when you're trying to motivate your team and really get the best from them? You know, it's something I, I think a lot about, and and when I think about the culture that we're creating, I, at my core, I'm an operator, and I think in business, you can have the best ideas in the world, but if you can't implement and execute, then you're going to fail. So one of the core mantras and things that I instill in the team on a daily basis is a is a GSD philosophy um, that stands for get done. 
And I know it's a little crass, but it's authentic and it's real, even to the point where uh, we have a trophy that gets handed uh, down and passed down every month where everyone in the company selects and votes for one employee that they think got the most stuff done. And that person we'll have to, By the way, we'll have to say stuff instead of the other word. <laughs> <laughs> On the radio, so just our, an FYI. Our philosophy. Okay, good. Got it, got it. Um, so it's about operations. It's also about encouraging the team to try new things and to continue to push the limits. And that way we're continually innovating. And that may mean that some of the product launches that we put out, some of the things that we test, fail. But as long as we're doing it quickly and we're agile and we're adjusting, uh, that's what matters. Another key philosophy in, in my leadership style and what we're implementing in the company is a very data-driven organization. So, you know, we've implemented some, some key tools and software to help us measure and track everything that we do. From every dollar that we spend, we know what the results are. And so every decision we now make as an organization is data-driven. So, you know, it's about leading by example of getting things done. It's about creating transparency through numbers so there's a clear visibility. And it's about setting a very crystal clear vision and plan that not only talks about the future but lays out for the next year, quarter by quarter, for everyone in the organization to see what we're working on next so that everyone throughout the organization knows how they're impacted, where they're going to be involved, what their role is going to be. When you give your team that kind of clarity, it gives them a sense of purpose mm -hmm. and calm, actually, yes. because they know what needs to get done. They know where to focus. Yeah. Tell me what, you know, when you talk about operations and analytics and creativity, where are your strengths? I'm an operator, um, so if if I don't see a clear, cohesive plan, I can sniff it out and push really hard to encourage the team and force them to dig in a little deeper. I also really enjoy encouraging uh, my team, and I think it's one of those things that is a unique benefit because when I worked in more male-dominated organizations, that wasn't part of the culture of everybody working together towards a common goal. So I think I have a really unique strength in motivating and galvanizing the team to work together and work cohesively. Well, you know, certainly in today's world, I think just, just using the word collaborative um, today is something that I'm learning that businesses and large corporations are doing more of. So that kind of hierarchy um, that used to be the norm for companies People are seeing that it might not be the most effective way to run a business. And certainly when you include the people that are working for you and include them in a way that makes them feel important towards the mission, um, it makes them work harder. I agree. It's interesting. One of the things that I've now found in the team that we have is that everybody has a sense of pride and ownership in the work that they produce. And that's not something that can be bought with a high-paid salary. That's you right. You have to you have to select for that, and you have to help them feel engaged and show them exactly how they're contributing, how their efforts are driving the bottom line and impacting everyone else in the organization. And that's difficult to do, but if you focus on it and you prioritize it, you can create it. And it means making tough decisions and eliminating people quickly who are contra to that organization and that culture. 
Right, and not having the fear to do that. Tell me, you know, um, what your what you feel is the the thing that holds women back from having these same goals. In other words, you're you're extremely focused on what you want to do, and you don't seem to have that fear of, mm-hmm. you know, um, making the hard decisions, um, l- letting what other people might advise you to do hold you back. What do you think are some of the things that that really are the um, the cause of women not stepping out, and, and what do you think are some of the concrete things we can do to, to encourage them more to pursue those leadership positions? You know, I, I, if I think back to the lessons I've learned, and, di- and difficult lessons, it, it, it boils down to, to three things. Um, you talk about the confidence that I have, but I, I, I tell you that that was not there three years ago. That was hard-earned and a painful lesson. So... Um, if I could advise women to do three things, first is be willing to ask for help and seek advice and listen. Listen to those who have gone through these experiences, who have valuable insights to share. I've been incredibly fortunate to have an amazing board of directors and even more amazing board of advisors. I mean, these are seasoned professionals who have been there and done that. And I adjust my plan based on their feedback. I listen and I respect what they have to say. That's number one. Number two uh, goes back to that willingness to make change quickly. So eliminating somebody who may not be the right fit in the organization, that was one of the hardest lessons I've ever had to learn in running my own company. And I had an employee who I kept on probably four months longer than I should have, and it was fear. It was fear of letting that person go. Well, they were an individual contributor. Who would back up? How would I be able to pick up the slack, and will it disrupt the team? Mm -hmm. All of these questions that linger in the back of your mind, the reality is that person or that individual who isn't right for the organization becomes a cancer, and it affects everyone else in the organization. And it wasn't until I finally got over the fear of letting that one individual go and realized how quickly things change for the better, that I learned that lesson. And now I move quickly. Yeah. Um, a third valuable lesson, I think, for women entrepreneurs is tied to fundraising. I think fundraising is one of the most challenging things for an entrepreneur, be it man, woman, you name it. And one of the challenges that I had to learn and overcome in my first year of fundraising was closing, asking for the money. I know it sounds so simple, but I felt if I showed the best case, and I knew my business better than anyone, and I presented this exceptionally compelling pitch that they would ask to invest. (laughs) And that's naivete, and that's, you know, being a young, first-time CEO and, and feeling very uncomfortable in asking someone directly to invest in the company. But I'll tell you now, I have such faith in my team. I have faith in the traction that we've had. I know where we're going and what we're building. I have no qualms 
asking someone to invest. And now I truly believe it's a privilege to be part of what we're building. So it's a fundamental mind shift. It, it definitely is. One of my, uh, not one of my, one of the greatest um, quotes that I ever heard was, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. <laughs> so it, it's just a simple, it's a, sim, right? It's a simple phrase. If you don't ask, the answer is no. If you do, it might be yes. So why not take that chance, right? What's the worst that can happen? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I do. Absolutely. I, that, was yeah. a, that was a tough one for me to overcome. Yeah, I bet. I, you know, I, I just, um, I see that often and we, t- we talk about it a lot, but I think you, you know, you hit the nail on the head when you spoke about once you have the faith in your product and what you're providing and your team and all of that, it really does give you more courage to make the ask because you're so, you're, you're confident in, in what you have to offer the person you're sitting in front of, don't you think? There's no doubt, no doubt. And when you first, you know, when you first launch, you're, you're still growing and kind of taking different twists and turns and, and tweaking things. But um, it's a big difference when you're when things are running smoothly. You know, the operation, as you mentioned, is running smoothly. You just really are, um, you know, in much more of a confident place to to make that ask. Let me um, Jackie, do you have, you know, as someone who is truly an entrepreneur at heart, is there anything else on the horizon for you? Is there something else that you have thought about doing outside of this boating industry? <laughs> I live, breathe, eat, and sleep boat setter. Um, <laughs> so if I were thinking anywhere. about something else at this point in time, I'd be doing it an injustice. So the answer to that is, there are exciting plans that I have um, that I want to unfold for Boat Setter, but no, there is nothing else at this point in time that I'm looking at. I, I love what we're doing, and you know, one of the things I'm most proud of is the team that we've been able to attract, and that's based on a true vision and belief in what we're building. I'm, you know, I, if I may, I, I'd love to share with you one of our newest hires that that puts us in an entirely different category in terms yes, of what startups do. typically face. Yeah. Would that be all right if I share that with you? Absolutely. Yes. So um, we, great. So as a marketplace, one of the most critical roles in our organization is marketing. And we needed a world-class chief marketing officer. And I am thrilled to tell you that we have now brought on board a gentleman named Pablo Vidal Arián. I met Pablo through the Stanford Graduate School of Business. And um, he was in an executive program. He was the head of brand and global marketing for Telefonica globally. Prior to that, he was the um, global CMO for LG Electronics. Before that, he ran global brands at Procter & Gamble. And to bring someone of that caliber into a startup um, environment is a huge coup. And, and it's a huge opportunity for us and for him because he was at a point in his life where he had built amazing uh, brands and you know brand identities for large organizations and really wanted to have a sense of ownership and be a partner in building something. And this gave him that opportunity. And we both have a very shared vision in the culture and the company and the experience we want to build for our employees, for our customers, for our boat owners, for our captains. So he is, uh, he is one of the 
best new additions to the company that I'm really excited to share. Oh, that's terrific. You know, it's always nice when you bring someone on that you feel, um, you know, kind of has your back, someone you can bounce ideas off of, um, you know, and just someone else who shares that mission. That really is a great feeling. How did you, how did you uh, meet Pablo? It is. It was through a mutual friend who was in the Stanford Graduate School of Business, the executive program. I, I myself am a GSB alum, so it was through that network. Because I often see that, you know, we, we do networking and, and we go, you know, out and about to events and, and things that we feel will be beneficial to our, our business. And I think that sometimes it's fate that, you know, we meet just the right person at just the right time. No, we've been saying that a lot. The stars are aligning. You know, you, you touched on something else that, that really does um, ring true to me, and that is that sense of having a partner and not going at it alone. Mm. Back in um, June, I made the decision to merge uh, with uh, the predecessor of Boat Set, which was Boat Setter. Mm-hmm. And the idea of being able to have a partner to go at this with was such a wonderful addition for me and, and one of the one of the reasons, one of many reasons why I decided to merge the companies. And I now have an incredible business partner. His name is An- Andrew Sterner, who is a seasoned entrepreneur. He has himself been through two IPOs. And to be able to learn from him and lean on him and set the vision together is is a really rare opportunity and something I'm very grateful for. So for entrepreneurs, if you can find that person who can be your partner, who can help you get through the challenging times and celebrate the great times together, it's a wonderful benefit. It, it truly is, and I and I, I couldn't agree more, and um, I, I think you know that I've experienced the same wonderful opportunity uh, recently with Heather, who is who connected the two of us, and um, it, it really is a much better mm-hmm. feeling to have someone along for the ride. Jackie, that's it. That's all the time we have. I appreciate so much your joining us from Costa Rica, and I wish you um, a wonderful week of wedding plans and a wonderful wedding day. Thank you so much, Susan. We appreciate being here. Oh, Susan, I have a benefit for your listeners. If they want to get out on the water, we developed a special code, WOMEN10. WOMEN10? Okay, I'll put that out on Women our... Women 10, so if they go to BoatSetter.com. Yes. Terrific. Thank you so much. I'll put it out on the website, Jackie. Have a great day. Thank you, Susan. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great week.